Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck here on MMAFighting.com. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for checking out the program as always. There is a lot to discuss this week, as there is each and every week, including some big news that dropped in the world of MMAfighting.com on Monday. I'm sure you've seen or heard about this news by now. And truth be told, ever since that announcement dropped, I have been bombarded with texts, calls, DMs, etc., asking me a litany of questions and... Rather than just respond to each of you individually, I will answer those questions in a matter of moments. But first, do something a little different. I'm just going to run down the lineup now, let you know what's going to happen on the show, and then I will get to all that stuff. So we're going to wrap up the show this week with Ricky Glenn, who had a big win in his first appearance in the Octagon in a little under three years. He had a 37-second knockout win over Joaquin Silva at UFC Vegas 29. We will check in with him later on because... Not only did he get a win, he didn't get a bonus, but he might have gotten something even better from the UFC. Now, in the MMA world, the name Talita Alencar is not a household name, and that's because she has yet to compete inside the cage. But that's going to change on July 2nd at Titan FC 70. And for those who follow the grappling and jiu-jitsu worlds, you know who she is. She's a multi-time world champion jiu-jitsu practitioner. She has spent the last year and a half or so getting ready to make the move to mixed martial arts. She's taking it very seriously, and you'll hear her story later on the program. And in my opinion, watching her grapple, she has big potential in this sport, no doubt about that. OSP Oban St. Pru returns to action and returns to the heavyweight division this Saturday in the co-main event of UFC Vegas 30. He's taking on Tanner Bozer, and this all came together very quickly, supposed to fight Maxim Grishin. That changed, and we'll talk about how that came to be and a whole lot more great stuff from OSP. And in a little bit, we're going to kick things off with our good friend, MMA Fighting's own, the returning Sean El Shadi, who's going to discuss the big storylines coming out of this past weekend, the Korean Zombies' big win over Dan Ige, the state of the featherweight division, and of course, Anderson Silva's illustrious return to the boxing ring and how much fun that was to take part in on Saturday. For those of you who joined us for the watch along, we appreciate that very much. But let us begin by answering all of those questions that I have been getting, at least to the best of my knowledge and abilities. Okay, so as you probably know by now, Ariel Hawani, the man who helped launch this place, 
MMAfighting.com, the face of this website for many, many years, is back with us. At least, the MMA Hour is back with him, and that will be his role with us. And that show will take place on Mondays and Wednesdays. So I'm sure you saw his video. He's locked up with a number of different places, doing a lot of different things. But the MMA Hour is back in your lives. It's his line on Mondays and Wednesdays. So two shows a week. And this is a very, very big deal. And a lot of people have asked what that means for me, what that means for the show, what the heck. We've been at this for now, what is this? The 64th episode started in April of last year, a couple weeks after I came on with MMA Fighting. And, you know, it's a similar type of show. It's not live. We're not in a in a, in a studio. Definitely a, a different feel because, one, his show had all of those things. And... I also feel like Ariel and I approach these interviews a little bit differently from each other, and I'll address that part of it in a minute, but I've had so many people just ask like, oh man, so you're not with MMA fighting anymore? Where are you going to work now? Are you okay? And, and let me just be super clear with all of you. I am absolutely fired up that this is happening. Are you kidding me? This is massive, massive news. I mean, the best MMA show in the history of this sport is back and back with us. This is amazing. I couldn't be more thrilled that this is happening. And as far as the other stuff goes, I'm not fired. I'm still working here. I'm still going to be doing a million things. I'll still be doing interviews, still be doing between the links, the pre and post fight shows, the people's pre fight show, 30 minutes before the event starts with all of you. That all remains on to the next one with AK. All of that is still happening. All of it. It's all still happening. In fact, there's potentially more stuff that I'll be able to do. There's more content that we can do here over at MMA Fighting. So this is a great thing for everybody. And I am beyond excited for for Ariel, not just because he's coming back here, but you can tell the man is happy. He has seemingly lifted a big weight off of his shoulder. So I'm very happy for him. I'm selfishly very happy for me. I'm happy for you, especially because the MMA Hour is back twice a week and I'm happy for all of us. This is massive. So on the other end, what is going to happen with this show in my answer? And this is the God's honest truth. I have no idea. What I do know is whether the show will drop on Tuesdays or not. The what the heck brand will remain. I will still be doing interviews. Like I said, I, will it be in this format? I'm not sure. Maybe it will be. Will we still do a podcast? Probably. And for those who know me and have worked with me can probably tell you, I'm a team player to the max. So whatever I'm needed for, put me in. Give me the damn jersey. I'm going to run whatever play you want me to run. And again, let me reiterate, this is great news. I am thrilled. And as a guy who was starting his own little MMA podcast several years ago while I was in the radio business, I used to sneak back in to the radio station that I worked at just to record this little podcast that I did. And on the side, I produced the old Rick's Picks theme song back in the day. So hearing that song back in the day and plus like the MAR was my jam. It was my jam. So now to be like working alongside Ariel, having the show back and just, you know, albeit in a, in a limited capacity working with Ariel, I couldn't be more happy. So stop asking the questions. I'm still employed. This is all wonderful news. I'm not going anywhere. Let us celebrate this moment because it is phenomenal stuff. So that is out of the way. Let us get to the show. So let us discuss the weekend that was with another gentleman who returned recently to the MMA fighting family, Mr. Sean El Shadi. All right, 
right, so it's only fitting that for the first time in the history of this program, I actually bring on one of my colleagues to join us to discuss the news and notes of MA because normally we do this on Between the Links, we try to get somebody from the staff on, but I didn't want to have a battle. I didn't want Sean versus Jed and all that chaos. No, 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 no. I want to just have a, an intelligent conversation about the sport of mixed martial arts and who better to do that with than the returning Sean El Shadi. It's great to have you back. Great to be working with you, Sean. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful, my friend. Thank you for bringing me on. Uh, and you're right. We can't have an intelligent conversation with Mr. Mishu over here involved. So that's what we're going to try to do over here separately. Uh, and I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited to be back with MMA Fighting, back with the team. And uh, we got a lot of fun stuff cooking. Well, I might as well just ask you right off the bat because I'm sure people have asked you. We might as well answer those questions. How does it feel being back? Like, I know you're excited, but just like overall, it's been, it's been a little while. You took a, a different journey, but now you're back. Is it like, how does it feel just being back? Like, did you see this coming at all? I, I saw it coming a little bit cause I, we've been working on, on putting it together for a while. Uh, I had been sort of looking for opportunities for, for a while now. And this one had been at the top of my radar, uh, really since mid last year. So I saw it coming, but it is a little surreal. I will say, man, uh, it, it's, it's been wonderful so far. It's so fun. Just, uh, reuniting with, with all the team members still here. What's up, Casey. Casey is, is producing this right now. Uh, and also meeting all the new team members like you, Mike, and everybody else who's been doing such incredible work while I've been gone. Um, it is super surreal though. It, it really is. And, uh, it, it feels nice though. It, it feels really, really nice. It feels right. I still have my MMA fighting mug right back there. I still have the t-shirt. I busted out the t-shirt for fight week uh, for this past pay-per-view. And it just, again, it feels right. It feels good. We got Ariel back. Everything's going. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. Pretty wild, man. Uh, there's Casey. He has to get involved with the sound <laughs> effects and the fire and, and the DJ sound. So by the way, I don't have an MMA fighting mug nor t-shirt. So hopefully we can we can get that situated and, and changed we up need over to the next couple. Yeah, we need to work on that then. That is an issue that that is now the top of my to-do list is we need to get Mike Heck <laughs> the gear, the swag. Come on, man. I know. I don't want to be wearing Red Sox paraphernalia every time I every every time I'm on here. So <laughs> um, we could talk about all this stuff for hours and hours, but let us talk about what happened this past weekend. We'll start with the UFC. Korean zombie back in the wind column. He's now three and oh training in the u.s when he trains a fight ready with eddie cha and the crew in the u.s he's now three and oh defeats a very game a very gritty dan ige impressive showing showed his wrestling game i don't think dan ige or the great team over at extreme couture saw that coming but tkz looked great got it done what did you think of his performance oh was there a ufc event this weekend i, I totally forgot with all the anderson silva uh mania <laughs> going on it felt like that was the biggest thing going this weekend um, no, man, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that was I was very impressed by what we came away, I guess, seeing from Korean Zombie and just also the aftermath, man, because to me, nothing typifies and embodies this guy more than what we found out afterwards, where it's just like he he separated his shoulder or seemed to really injure his shoulder pretty badly in that second round. And then pops back in and he kind of fights with, with one arm for, for the rest of the fight. And it's the same shoulder, obviously, that he hurt eight years ago against Jose Aldo. And he wasn't even going to tell anybody like it was on Eddie Cha to tell us all of this of just like, hey, by the way, he's not trying to say this, but this happened and it was a problem and he couldn't really play defense at that point or, or punch with one hand. Uh, to me, that just embodies what Korean Zombie's about and why he's such a fan favorite man. He is the toughest 
uh, MF or in that featherweight division. And he is just, you, you have to kill him to, to end him, right? Like you can't chop off an arm. You can't chop off a leg. Like you need to really take that guy down to end him. He's going to just try to work through whatever, whatever's going on. But really it, it, it's impressive. You mentioned the, the moves that he's been making with this new team and really how, how well he's been doing with this new team, Eddie Cha and the fight ready team here in Arizona, actually. And it's impressive to me, sort of the the transition and the evolution that this guy has undergone because for a long time korean zombie we we thought of his him as sort of this one note brawler who maybe one note is is not fair but he was sort of looked at as this brawler who's going to come in here it's going to be really fun it's going to be really wild and you know somebody's going to get really really hurt but probably two people are going to get really hurt and it's just going to be a fight of the night and now he really feels as if he has evolved into one of the most technical well-rounded just featherweights in the entire world and and really we've seen that expedited since he's gone over to this team with eddie cha and, and captain eric over there at fight ready and it's impressive man for, for someone who has been in this game so long to be able to make these sort of adjustments and changes this late in their career and f- be finding such good success with it uh I, I can't say good enough good things about korean zombie and what we saw this weekend but also just really what we've seen over this run i mean you take away that brian ortega fight where Brian Ortega 2.0 looks like he might be the best featherweight in the world. We'll see. Uh, but you take away that Brian Ortega fight, and, and it is just all coming up roses for Korean Zombie. It was funny talking to Captain Eric a couple weeks ago for the during the during right after the Bellator media day, and he was saying, like, dude, I'm telling you, Fight Ready is going to be the best wrestling gym in MMA in, like, a couple of years. You just watch. Bringing these guys over. Now they have Marco Matson over there, too. So, I mean, you, yeah. you can't find better guys to work on your wrestling with. But heading into this fight, one, I probably should have expected the wrestling to come after talking to Captain Eric, but I still really didn't see it coming. But I was really interested to see the approach that Korean Zombie was going to take because I know he took the Ortega loss pretty hard. He had to take a long look in the mirror, even briefly contemplated calling it a career and just saying, I'm done with all this. There's, there's other things I could be doing. But that quickly turned back into... I still feel like I'm in title contention. I feel like I could still be the UFC featherweight champion at some point. I found it interesting just seeing how composed he was because I like had the fight not gone the way it did. I don't know if we would have saw him again. Like when you start having those thoughts, usually like the, the aftermath of it all and like how you perform in your next fight sort of tells the story. Like, am I making the right decision? So it sure seems like he's making the right decision. So I'm wondering where does he go from here? Because this division is so loaded, but a lot of these top guys are either booked Ortega and Volkanovsky. We just saw the Holloway Rodriguez fight is getting postponed at some point. We don't know what's going to happen. The plan is to try to rebook that thing. So what does he do after a headline spot and having the performance like he had, like, where does he go from here? Well, you're absolutely right. When you mentioned the composure, because that to me is maybe the the quality that stood out the most over this run is just the fact that you can't really rattle Korean zombie at this point, man. Like he, to make that mid fight adjustment of, Hey, I don't have a right arm anymore. I'm just going to go right to this wrestling in this round three and I'm going to do it again in round four and it's all going to work out and and no big deal. And again, we're I'm not going to say anything about it afterwards. It's up to Eddie to say something that is so impressive to me. And that just speaks to really the level of experience and, and Dominic Cruz use a really good, phrase on saturday in the commentating that i i thought was apt where just the ring generalship that that a, a korean zombie has accumulated over the course of this run he is one of the most experienced fighters in this division at this point and it's weird to think you think of him like that for some reason for some reason again he still feels at least in my mind like he was this guy that he was in wec where he's you know pulling off twisters and just getting in these crazy fights but that's not that's such an outdated 
view of him. And he, he really is just one of the most experienced composed guys in there at 45 at this point you asked where to go next with them and you mentioned max holloway and what's going on with this riyaya rodriguez fight and it seems like giga chikadze is sort of in the mix right now for this yaya rodriguez fight if i'm a ufc matchmaker that is exactly where i'm going with this that that to me lays out perfectly you get giga in there against yair i don't know that yair yair's a weird case right because he hasn't fought a lot he, he really hasn't fought much at all. And so you could say he deserves a Max Holloway fight, and I wouldn't argue with you, but I also would say that he's not entitled to it. And so to, to take a step down and, and fight someone coming up the ranks who is being active like Giga, that feels like it fits to me. Uh, and also that's just a really crazy matchup. Like the, the mind delights at the idea of those two guys fighting. And then to me, you take Korean Zombie and you throw him against Max Holloway. And that is just mouthwatering matchup to me. Like I, I, I'm getting chills and goosebumps at the idea of what those two demons could do against each other. That that feels like the move to me if you're able to get the Giga fight going. I'm like torn on the idea because I feel like Giga could be a very big player in this division at some point. Like he's still. I mean, he's got tons of combat sport experience, but MMA experience, he's got some, and he's getting more and more as he continues to fight. But I don't want to like especially in a division like this, throwing him to a guy like Yair, it kind of scares me a little bit because if you go in there and Yair does what Yair does and lights him up and kind of knocks his confidence back for a loop, then you're just like, oh man, like we could have slowly built this guy. The purist in me is like, no, don't do that. But the fight fan in me is like, oof, can you imagine Giga Chikaze and Yair Rodriguez throwing them fangs? That's just pure entertainment that that's what i'm saying that that the idea of that fight is great and also it's funny the way that you just talked about yair because i feel like a lot of us do this when we just talk about yair in this division i don't know that he almost has like a spot in this division that he hasn't really earned yet it, it, it despite the how long he's been here it, just because of how inactive he's been again he hasn't fought since 2019 and his best win is really just this weird fluky last second elbow over Korean zombie. And then after that, what's his best win? It's, you know, Jeremy Stevens. And like a lot of people have beaten Jeremy Stevens now at, at this point, right? Like that Yair exists in this very weird nebulous spot in this division when it comes to how we consider him in the rankings. And I, it's one that I don't know that he's exactly earned. So the idea that like, Oh, he might do terrible things to Giga Chikaze. Yeah. Like he might, but he also might not, and Giga might just be better than him, and we don't know at this point because yeah, you're sort of been art artificially inflated. Uh, so I don't know. I I, I want to find out. Really, that's why I love that matchup so much. And also, like, you get those guys each kicking each other, like doing all sorts of crazy <laughs> kicks in that fight. Like, come on, inject that into me. That's great. You know, it'll be like a pro wrestling match where one guy's chopping the other guy, and then the other guys are trying <laughs> to chop him harder. They're just gonna keep like exchanging single kicks to each other's bodies, and it'll just be gnarly. Calvin Cater was kind of like the matchup I was looking at for zombie just because that's kind of the only guy that's left. And zombie took the Ige fight because this is the only guy that was left. He goes, everybody else is booked. I had to take this fight. There's no other way around it. So it'd be interesting to see where he goes because obviously cater did, you know, that fight with Max Holloway was not great. He suffered a lot of damage there. Hit them. His not manager. great is an understatement. Not yeah. great. I mean, is a his huge, stock still rose. His stock still rose in that loss, which is like unbelievable because of how tough he is. But his team has done a really good job at like slow rolling him because Calvin's an animal. And if it was up to him, he would have fought in February. But they're slow rolling him a little bit, making sure his head's right. And Tyson Charty was telling me that Calvin Cater's mind is in a better like like 
they try to test for concussion syndrome and stuff after these fights and see where their head's at. They said that his numbers are better after the Holloway fight than like any of his previous UFC fights, which is just mind boggling to me. I don't even know what to make of that. I don't even like I you say that to me and I don't even understand what that means. His numbers. What is that? Like I, he took a lot of numbers. He took the most numbers that anybody has ever taken in any single fight ever. Like that's I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> that's yeah, crazy. But like the, the concussion esque t- type of damage, like the long term effects were lower and like coming out of that fight than any of the other fights he's had in the UFC. So I would not recommend to any other fighter yeah, listening don't to, do that. to go take 400 Max Holloway punches. That probably is not replicable. Like, that's not happening again. Yeah, don't do that ever again. Um, Dan Ige. Yeah. Called a shot. Got to get gusto. Not many people get on the microphone and say, hey, that Korean zombie guy, I want to fight him. He did it. Went in there. One, maybe around, maybe two. Some people had a 40 or 47. The scores were kind of all over the place. But the right man won in the end. What did you see from Dan and, you know, where does he go from here? Because, again, you get a lot of young, hungry, up-and-coming lions in this division that are going to be hunting for Dan Ige after this fight, more than likely. Yeah, it's a tough one for Dan. I mean, he, he's such a good guy and he has such a good story. Um, but the, but he, it's tough to sort of judge how, where he belongs in this division, right? Because I feel like he, does, he has gotten um, the – maybe a few generous decisions, let's say that, on the judges' scorecards. And so his overall record could look much, much, much worse conceivably uh, if you play this out you know, 10 different times. I think he's probably existing in probably one of the better timelines for him in this featherweight division. But he is still so obviously skilled, and he is just as tough as a human being can get in there. Uh, it, 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 he, his two fights that he's sort of taken up the ranks, obviously, Qatar and, and now... Uh, Korean zombie he's lost both of those and I honestly thought he lost the Edson Barboza fight as well but again he's kind of in a tough spot now where he's probably going to be fighting down the ranks he's going to get a couple fights in a row of these up-and-comers who are really hungry trying to steal his number and steal his spot and that feels right for right now but he's still so young man I mean what's he he's still like in his 20s right he's still like 29 I think he he has a lot of time left to be able to to make work in this division but he it does feel like he's kind of going to get pushed back into this corner of having to to fend off the up-and-comers for at least a few fights. Yeah, even if they threw Ige in there with Giga, I'm down for that. Shane Burgos would be fun. Guys like uh, Sudi Yusuf and Hakeem Duwadu, all interesting matchups. So uh, the the list will be – is a pretty long one for Danny Ige moving forward. But let's talk about – the Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man, yes. as you uh, as you aptly put him in your returning big f- weekend feature that I was so honored and proud to read without having to pay for it. So it was great to be able to see that. <laughs> Anderson Silva, man, I'm telling you, there's, and I'm sure you agree, there's, there's certain fighters that whatever attitude they bring to the table, it is unbelievably contagious. Like if Anderson's having a bad night and you can see it in his face, like it just seems like the fight's going to be pretty rough and like everyone sort of has has a, has a bad night. But when Anderson's smiling and he's flowing out there, you just have such a great time watching him. And that's what he did in this return to the boxing ring against Julio Cesar Chavez on Saturday. How fun was that, man? Like with all this sort of negative talk about the crossover fights and the Paul brothers to see Silva go in there and have a performance like that. Like how fun was that? I'm smiling right now. Just even thinking about it, man, I had so much fun watching that fight and I was not alone. It felt like the MMA community was celebrating, like openly celebrating, even just halfway through that fight. Uh, It is Anderson Silva is just one of those very unique figures when it comes to the fight game, right? Because I, I know for, for people my age, uh, I'm in my 30s. Anderson Silva was one of my earliest favorite fighters. Like when I was a fan, I came up 
really in the in the heyday of Anderson Silva, he was in an absolute apex, and he was a magician. He he was doing he was Doctor Strange. He was doing things in there that didn't feel possible. He was he was acting as if he was in a Hollywood movie in the middle of these fights and just destroying people in ways that I had never actually conceived of being real, of a human being being able to do. And he will always be that guy in my head. He is the greatest middleweight of all time by far. And he's just one of the greatest fighters of all time by far. And and we really have lost that. we, We lost that sense over the last like five years, right? Like I think there are a lot of new fans in the sport who don't actually understand or have any real sense of like who Anderson Silva is, why he matters, why any of this mattered, and and just what what he meant in the in his prime when he was the guy, when he was the king of the world, really. When it came to MMA, I think there's a lot of fans who just don't actually have that sense. And to see the way that the last five years have gone for him in the UFC, and then to see what he did on Saturday, it really just makes me wistful and and wishing we could redo these last five years because it's just like what were we doing spinning our wheels throwing anderson silva out there against jared cannonier and Derek brunson and uriah hall like there's so much more there are so much better things that we could have been doing with these last years of anderson and there's so many different opportunities that we could have i would have loved to see anderson box when he was ufc middleweight champion like he is obviously extraordinarily good at this when he was in the middle of this this fight in uh, his opponent's dad's on his opponent's dad's event in Mexico in their backyard, and he's doing what he's doing. It was you could see the joy on on Goito Perez's face on the commentary booth, just as to see an MMA person represent us when we've been taking L's like hard L's week after week. It seems like every month there's just like another MMA fighter getting embarrassed somewhere to see this guy at age 46 come in here. And in what was it like mid third round, fourth round where he's doing the Stefan Bonner, where he's getting in the corner and he's pointing down to the ground. He's getting real animated and you can just see how much fun Anderson Silva was having. And that to me was the coolest part of all of this was just seeing that joy return to the face of Anderson Silva to see him, remember like i am anderson f and silva like that's who i am and you could see it in in the middle of the fight of just him being that guy again and existing as that guy again thriving as it and just being in the middle of a gunfight and knowing that he has complete ownership of what's going on right there it was so obscenely cool like it was just such a great feel-good moment for someone who really hasn't had any feel-good moments at all over the last five years like what the Derek Brunson fight, I guess, was kind of a feel-good moment. But even that, like, I don't know, man. I, I had such a good time watching that. And that really and, – and it makes you – it makes your heart swell for Anderson because, again, it, it's I don't know that this is going to be the end, right? Like, he definitely is going to probably continue to box after this. But it's going to at least open up some more doors for him. I'm sure he's going to make several millions doing a, a fight against, you know, some other – celebrity or whatever like however this boxing road is going to go for him he's going to end up making pretty good money and maybe he can finally find the storybook end that he very much did not find in the ufc when we keep throwing him against these rando guys that just do nothing for him and and we're just trying to build other people up off anderson silva silva's name like some people some people are above that when it comes to the historical ramifications of fights like that and when you just look at through the history of the sport like some people are above doing the building their name off of thing and to me anderson silva should be above that and we've we've been doing that for five years so for him to be able to get an actual legacy fight like this and an actual fight where we can feel good about it and everyone can celebrate him for who he is uh it just felt so good man it felt so good as someone who has been the biggest anderson silva mark pretty much my entire adult life like it felt incredible to watch 
And it was nice to see him fight somebody who doesn't get lost in the allure of Anderson. Like even Israel Adesanya goes in there in a main event spot and it fights Anderson Silva. And as good as Izzy was, and you know, we felt pretty bad heading into that fight. We're like, Oh man, like we don't want to see this. But then even Izzy got kind of lost into the in the allure of Anderson Silva and the legacy and the legend that he presented us for so long. But to see him in a boxing ring against a guy who clearly knew who Anderson was but didn't feel that same way, it was great because it didn't take anything away from either performance. Like we probably got the best Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. we were going to get in that fight. And you can't say like, you know what? Like, uh, it's just, I fought a legend. It was too much. It was too much to overcome. Anderson just did the damn thing and it was awesome. Yeah, and he embarrassed him. Again, he embarrassed him on his dad's show, like this whole show celebrating his dad in their own hometown, in their own home country with home-cooked judges. Like, that was obviously not a split decision. Like, they tried as hard as possible to take that away from Anderson, and he made it so absolute that it was just impossible to do it. It was it was the coolest thing that I've seen in some time, man. And it really, again, just to see Anderson feeling good about it and Anderson happy and enjoying himself like that is so much better than what we've gotten with all these crap fights like I didn't need to see Uriah Hall knock out Anderson Silva or or any of this right like I didn't need to see uh you know whoever Jared Cannonier beat Anderson Silva like all of these have been so pointless and we could have been having so much more fun with with this true legend of the game and the, in the waning years of his of his career because again he's 46 years old the fact that he is 46 years old and he's out here fighting a 35 year old who has 60 fights of pro boxing experience and i understand that julio caesar chavez jr is not uh let's say well regarded by the boxing populace like he is definitely seems like a, a black sheep when it comes to how how boxing fans consider him uh but man still like 11 years his his senior and again 60 boxing fights of experience versus two that's crazy, man. That's crazy. It's wild stuff. And I'm so happy for that guy. Well-deserved moment for him. Hopefully he continues on and gets some big fights and some big paydays. And that smile remains on not just his face, but all of our faces watching him going forward. Uh, I'd love to see the Roy Jones Jr. fight finally get made. I understand why it might not get made because I don't know if like a commission would clear Roy because he's because of his age. I don't know. It depends if you find like just the right sweet spot to make that fight. We could do it. I don't think Anderson's in the exhibition fight kind of reality right now. Maybe he is if the pay is right, but I feel like we got to see this fight at some point and we got to do it relatively quickly. Do we not? The Jones fight? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if we're able to get this together, why not? Right. Like this is how I remember Anderson Silva wanted this fight like after he fought Rich Franklin. Like he has been calling for this fight basically his entire career. Like this was the dream for him for the entirety of me knowing who Anderson Silva was. It was I want to fight my clone. And I want to fight Roy Jones Jr. Those were the two like dream fights for him from the beginning. So like, why not, man? Let's do it. Like if we're doing all this stupid BS out here where Frank Mir is boxing, you know, Steve Cunningham or something. And it's just like Jake Paul is going to just take on every crappy MMA fighter or retired MMA fighter. Like, why can't we just have Anderson out here doing living his dream? Like who, who, who's stopping that? We, that should absolutely be the fight. Completely agree. And uh, last thing, I think we're going a little over the 15 minutes that I allotted, but I had a feeling this might happen. We got another (laughs) UFC event coming up on Saturday, UFC Vegas 30. uh, Then we get a little bit of a reprieve before we head to Las Vegas, UFC 264, headlined by Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor, the trilogy fight. But 
Big matchup in the heavyweight division, one that's flown under the radar. We got Cyril Gaon, the undefeated up-and-comer, looking to get to that title shot very quickly in his career, but he's taking on just an absolute menace in Alexander Volkov. The guy is a savage. He's big, he's long, and he's on a streak, and his confidence is sky high right now. What do you think of the matchmaking, and uh, what's sort of at stake for both of these guys? I like the matchmaking. What's at stake is hard because the heavyweight division is hard, right? Like we don't, the heavyweight division is, is some sort of, it's been impending for a long time at this point. And it still remains impending because we don't know the status of is John Jones going to end up, you know, being a player at this at all. Like, are they going to eventually figure that out with his new representation? Uh, and then also, you know, with the Curtis blades, uh, I'm sorry, not Curtis blades, but Derek Lewis, Francis and fight. Like, when is that actually going to happen? Are they going to be able to convince Francis to accept that fight? Even though a much bigger one is out there. Uh, the whole heavyweight division makes fights like this feel a little bit less important in a way that I think is not really fair to the guys involved because you're right. Cyril gone might be the best prospect in this division right now. I think he probably is. And I don't even know that he's really a prospect anymore. Like you beat JDS and Yarzino Rosenstruck back to back. Like, I don't know that I can consider you a prospect at that point. You're like a legitimate player. I'm a huge Cyril gone guy. Like I am really, really impressed with what he has brought to the table to be able to do this so early into his career and, and sort of the physical stature that he has. Like he's not a small guy. He, he feels like a small guy because he's so athletic, but he's six, five, like two fifty in there. Like he's a giant human and he is really more of an all around talent than I think even most of us expected. Cause he, he's pulling off submissions. He's pulling off big knockouts against JDS. Uh, the Rosenstruck fight was, you know, it wasn't great. But those things, you, you, not all of them can be gems. So for me, I'm actually really intrigued by this fight. But the, it does feel like the stakes sort of make it uh, less significant than it should be, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. This is the big litmus test, too. Like, I, I felt like I, I favored Gon against Rosenstrike, and I felt like for him to win, it was going to be sort of a boring fight because you don't want to get into a, a firefight with a guy like Jarzinho. You want to pick your spots and... And, and be lucid and that's exactly what he did and this one i mean if he can go in there and, and beat alexander volkov then good lord strap the rockets to him and just let him do his thing so i'm really interested in that fight of course we got another heavyweight fight in the co-main event osp versus tanner bozer didn't see that coming that wasn't on my bingo card so that'll be an interesting uh co-main event leading into the main event but sean appreciate the time we could do this for another 30 minutes easy with everything going on in the combat sports world but who knows maybe we got something that we can work with here in the future, perhaps the two bald men, the two handsome bald men from MMA fighting, talking fights. Hmm. Perhaps. I like that theme. I like that theme. Perhaps. We got, we got ideas cooking. We got ideas cooking y'all. Good stuff coming. The Bellator champion series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ, Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist, Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make 
all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There he is, Shad Al-Shadi. So much going on in the world of MMA, and we merely scratched the surface of it all. But one thing that is happening is another UFC Fight Night event, UFC Vegas 30, coming up this Saturday. And an early start time, too, 1 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. I am so excited for that. I love when that happens. Once in a while, give us an early afternoon card. A little early, late morning for, for those of you on the West Coast. I am all in on those. Sprinkle in one of those once a month, and I'm a happy camper. And in that event on Saturday, the co-main event of the afternoon, we will have a heavyweight matchup between Tanner Bozer and this man joining us right now, Ovin St. Prue. All right, it is officially fight week for this man. The 41st time this has happened to him as a professional mixed martial arts competitor, but things have been shuffled up a bit. New opponent, New weight class for this Saturday's UFC Vegas 30 event. Back up to the heavyweight division to fight Tanner Bozer this Saturday. This one left people scratching their heads a bit. So let's get some answers from the man himself, OSP, Ovin St. Prue. How are you, my man? And I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. It's good to have you here once again. So right off the bat, Maxim Grishin is the original opponent. He's out of the fight. How do we get from that to back up to heavyweight to fight Tanner Bozer? Because this seemed to happen very, very quickly. Um, well, I had to think about it. It took me about a day to actually come up with, the, to come up with the decision and whatnot. Um, cause initially I think, uh, uh, Maxim had a beef issue, um, and it couldn't happen. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fight. I just, I'm not worried about it. Then my manager Orrin came up to me and he said something about fighting that heavyweight. And I was like, nope, I'm definitely not fighting that heavyweight. Because the last heavyweight that I fought was just, I was like, that was just too much. But then again, I sat down. He shot me that. He was like, hey, this, this is the guy they're talking about. And, you know, I, I sat down and I looked at it and I was like, well, okay, he's not one of the bigger heavyweights. And, you know, at the same time, he's, he's, and I told myself, like, you know, I would entertain the heavyweight division again if the opportunity presented itself. And to be honest, um, after sleeping on it for a night and talking to a few people and I just woke up the next morning, um, getting all that detail together. And I was like, let's do it. Yeah. You, you make a great point about Tanner not being one of the, the bigger heavyweights. Cause there was, there were times, especially over the last year where people were asking him if he would be able to drop down to two Oh five and he had to keep kind of shrugging those questions off. So, you know, in a weird way, it's just kind of like a bigger two Oh five fight in a lot of people's eyes. Oh, uh, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like I was, I was, I was, Man, and it is crazy too because this weight cut was going to be almost perfect, and uh, and when it happened, I was like, "Come on, man!" So I kind of shrugged my shoulders about it. You know, it's, it's it is what it is. It's part of my job. You know, 
you know, time after time again, it's not the first time this happened to me. Sometimes it worked out for the best, sometimes it didn't. So uh, the opponent change, to be quite honest, happened. I was thinking, I was talking to my trainer about it. It happened quite frequently, uh, to say the least. So when did you actually know about this? Like when when did Oren present you with the the, the option of going to heavyweight and then <laughs> finding out that Tanner was the guy? I found out pretty much about everything on Tuesday because I remember I didn't. I remember Tuesday before I went to the gym. I did not look at my phone at all, um, and I was driving to the gym. And I, as I got to the gym, I looked at my phone, and he gave me. I guess he he shot me a uh, um, a screenshot of Tanner, and I'm like, oh man, you got to be kidding me! So I walked in the gym, and uh, I was talking to my trainer, and I was like, okay, what's going on? And he was like, uh, your guy have visa issues, so this is going on right now. And so he's like, what do you think about this fight? And I was like, I just need to sleep on it. And, you know, I told him I needed to sleep on it because I wanted to make a couple phone calls just to kind of clear my head out. And I know you were a little over in your last fight, missing by a pound and a half against Jamal Hill, but it sounds like those troubles weren't affecting you here at all. It sounded like, it seems like the weight was coming off perfect to get to that 206 mark. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's crazy. You're having a great weight cut. And then this opportunity comes along, man, this is, this is just MMA in 2021. Is it not? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's something that you got to expect to happen. Like um, I know throughout my career, I kind of always expected it. Like even, you know, two weeks out before the fight, I start really getting anxious or whatnot. And then, um, I always put it behind my head. If something happens, I always put myself in like, you know, the best case, best case scenario up here, worst case scenario down here. And, you know, like I said, it happens to me before. It happens two weeks out before the fight. But like, hey, look, this was going to happen a week out before the fight. Hey, look, this was going to happen. Shoot, when I was supposed to fight Shogun in, uh, in uh, Japan, I was on a flight going to Japan and I didn't have an opponent until I got there. So, wow, you know, smart. so, yeah. After the Jamal Hill situation and, and, and missing weight and how that all went down, I know you're, you've been talking about like if a heavyweight opportunity came down, that made sense. It was kind of like a case by case basis with you, but was there any thought of just being like, screw this weight cutting thing and let's just go to heavyweight, man. Like what, why, why put myself through this anymore? Man, it, it, it's not about me putting myself through it. It's just like, you know, even even before that fight, the 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 Alonzo Benefield fight, like that weight cut was almost I made it was crazy. I made two oh five twice in two weeks. I did not have a problem at all making weight. I made two oh five twice in two weeks. And the weight cut came off like like that. It just so happened the following time when I fought Jamal Hill. Um in hindsight, I probably should have actually in hindsight, I probably should have pulled from that fight just in general, because I was dealing with a lot of other stuff. But it is what it is. I, you live and you learn. Um, so um, this fight around, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull from this fight. But then after that, he's just like, I'm feeling good. You know, he's not going to be, you know, pretty much for this fight, I'll be walking around under 230. I'll be fighting under 230. Um, but even for uh, Tanner or whatnot, his last fight, he was like 242. And I was like, okay, at least he's not 280. So I can, <laughs> I, I'm good with that. How close were you to 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 just saying at, to, for the Jamal Hill fight, like, nah, maybe I shouldn't do this? Man, you know what? Like, it was it was very 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 close. It was at one point in time I just was like, I was just like, I was gonna say no, 
but I end up psyching myself out just because I thought I was good, but I really wasn't. Um, but I tell people like, if I start, I, I, t- I told myself, if I ever put myself in a situation where I start hesitating again and I really don't know what to do, I might as well just go. Cause I, I mean, I'm going into the fight with conflict anyways, and I don't need that in my head. So, um, after that fight, I kind of sat down with myself and I kind of like, okay, this is going to happen next time. If this happens, or if we're in a situation like this, similar to this, it's just going to, you know, save me a headache and everybody else a headache too. You can tell me to kick rocks and mind my own business all you want, but are, are you able to talk about some of the things that you were dealing with? Like what, what, what were some of the things that you were having to deal with? Cause I know, listen, fight people just think like you guys are fighters and fighters just go in there and fight, but you're, you're people like you deal with things that everybody else deals with. Are, are you able to talk nah, about just, some of the other, that stuff? I'm, I mean, yeah, it just, just a week before the fight, I, I had a, I had to take a quick trip to the emergency room. My back locked up on me and um, I just, I, it was, it was, it was bad. I thought I was good. Wake up was going good. Even when I was cutting weight, the wake up was going good. And then after the cut was getting more and more, I got down to about 206 and I was like, you know, I got, no, I got down to about 207 and a half. And I was like, I told my coach I was done. I'm just kind of, I ain't going to waste my energy. So in hindsight, I probably should have just been like, just be done in general. So, man, and so you're dealing with the back, and you're just like, let's just fight through this, and and let's just try to make it. That's 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 the decision. It's like those crossroads that fighters have to take from time to time. Yeah, it, like I said, it's one of them things where like I was thinking about it from more of a a, a, a like a football perspective because I've never really dealt with anything like this before, like. You know, I'm hurting, but then after I got the treatment that I needed, my body started feeling good. And then in hindsight, I was thinking about it. I was like, why did I just went back and just jump right back into doing something else instead of actually, you know, probably taking, you know, another week to two weeks to get more treatment and actually feeling better. But, you know, I was like, okay, it was a Friday night, emergency room. Then next year, you know, I'm flying. I didn't do anything pretty much Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I didn't do anything until I got to uh, uh, to Vegas. So basically like four or five days, I didn't do anything. Now I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling good. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. And they say, you know, just like, yeah, but, but you know, like things happen. It is what it is. You learn. So I was, I just told myself like, okay, I have to hesitate. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be like, okay, cool. I'm good. We're just going to figure out another day to handle this. Did you watch Jamal's fight with Paul Craig? The whole arm no, situation. I didn't get to see that part. I saw the last bit of it. Um, I don't even know how. I, I don't even know. I know he. I know. Paul Craig obviously is really good in the triangles and whatnot. And I don't. I, I just don't understand how a lot of people. He well, I don't know, but I didn't get to see that part. But it it looked pretty nasty. Yeah, it's it was. So one he, th- he, yeah, so that triumph. moment's surreal. Like it's just weird to watch. And then the referee's just like letting it happen, like with his arm dangling around. Like didn't stop it. And both fighters are telling him, like, dude, what are you doing? Stop it! Like his arm's done. And the ref just let it go for like another twenty seconds. It's crazy. Wow. Like, I, was the ref paying attention that close to make sure he didn't pass out, or just didn't see the arm? I mean, it, it'd be one thing if he's like seeking it and like. Jamal's sitting there just being like, like, don't say anything. I'm okay. Like I'll fight through it. But they're both like Paul's telling him like, dude, his arm's done. And then Jamal's like, dude, my arm's done. And the ref's just like, 
keep fighting, keep going. It was so weird wow. to watch, man. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that'd be happening and stuff. It's just at times you'd be like, you know, like what are the rest of things? So I mean, it. I don't know, man. It's just I know if I'm in a situation, it's hard, and it's and and, and it's hard too. Like, you know, Paul Craig could have easily got off, but you know, as a fighter, you you always taught don't ever stop until the ref pulls you off. So and and then if the ref don't pull you off, don't stop because there's been situations where. You know, fighters have been like, okay, cool, he's done. Or they feel somebody tap, and then the guy could come back and be like, oh, I didn't tap. So, you know, um, and that and, and that's the crazy part. It's just like you want to be a, I guess, a, a respectable fighter or whatnot, but at the same time, it's just, you know, you got a job to do. So um, I don't know. It's, the rest has just got to be more. I, it, it might be a situation where you might have another ref on the outside looking in. So, you know, that's not a bad idea. Just kind of have like a, a, a special enforcer, a, a second set of eyes. Yeah. I like it. It's, this is a weird, it's an interesting situation for you, but it's just a really interesting situation for Tanner coming into this fight because he was hoping to get back in there quick after the fight with the Latifi just a couple of weeks ago. And since that fight, and I saw some interviews that he did, he's been in quarantine this entire time. Like he hasn't been able to get to the gym and really train for this fight. So as a guy who's been in this game for a while and seen all these different things, like what do you make of his situation? And is there like an advantage or a disadvantage to just going in there and not overthinking anything and just getting in there and fighting? Um, that's been, I, 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 to be honest, I'm like thinking of you like he's been in what? I don't know what to think about that situation just for the simple fact where like, uh, I, I really don't know. Like I've never really been in that situation. If I, to be honest, if it was me, I would have been. I probably would have been like, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> he just wanted to fight again, like, and he got this, and I think he got a new contract and all that stuff. So, okay, okay, cool, cool. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it, it can be it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. It's just like, you know, I guess sometimes you got to run before you walk. In this case, he might be running before he's walking. <laughs> Do you like the matchup from like a stylistic perspective? Like I know there hasn't been like a ton of time to prepare for Tanner specifically. You're so, you know, engulfed in this game that you don't really focus on your opponents that much. You're focusing on yourself and what you're going to bring, but this isn't a brand new thing for you. Obviously. Do you like this one? Do you, do you like it maybe better than the other fight from a stylistic um, perspective? Stylistic. Yeah. The reason being, because, you know, Tanner's a bigger heavyweight. He does a lot. Of, he does have a lot of output, which is really good for, which is good for a heavyweight, but along, along with that output comes, you know, cardio comes down tremendously or whatnot. Um, and, you know, just kind of watching him against, you know, Allure, like, I know I got to watch out for certain things. He likes to kick. He got, he got, a, he got a heavy right hand, you know, as long as I like, I can watch out for those. And, you know, I, I kind of been preparing myself for that fight for, for those type of fights anyways. So um, for the grappling exchange, I never really got to see him grapple or whatnot. And I never really seen him on top of anybody. You know, I've seen him a couple of times. I've seen him when he was on top of Allure, um, but Allure ended up getting up and kind of circling off or whatnot. But pretty much anything I've seen, he's been kind of playing off his back. Um, I know one thing, though, he hasn't been finished. So um, I know that's I'm not going to go in there and try to be like, OK, I'm going to rip your head off. But. I mean, if I can land a solid shot, I think I'm going to try to finish him because he hasn't been finished. But to say the least, when I did go up to heavyweight, I did drop Ben twice. 
And I know I have the power to hang in with those guys, but I'm not going to be in a box in a phone booth trying to trade blows with those guys either. You blew a lot of people's minds when you stepped on the scale for the Ben Rothwell fight. You weighed in at 240 pounds and everyone's like, oh my God, he weighed 240. So what do you think we're going to see on Friday? Like, will we see you close to that range or below since you were cutting weight? <laughs> you were getting ready to cut to 206 anyways. Where are we going to be, I think? Man, I'll be definitely under 230. I'll definitely be under 230. Like I said, when I got the phone call, I remember on a Tuesday night, last Tuesday, I was 223. Last two, that was 223. So I might be, knowing myself, I might be anywhere between 225 and 230. Okay, so 240 OSP is not is not showing up on Oh, Friday. hell no. <laughs> 240 OSP is hurting. Like, I was too, I, I, it, it's crazy because, like, you know, like, I can move at that way, but I don't feel good moving at that way. So even when I fought, like, because when I weighed in, I weighed in with pretty much everything on. I was around probably about 238, 8-ish. But I was still feeling like I felt strong. I felt fast. But it's different where, like, you know, the lighter you feel, the longer you can move around. The heavier you feel, it, after a while, it, you just start, it gets it gets harder to move around. So, so. what do you, so when you have a, when you fight at 205, what do you typically, like, what do you think you weigh in at, like, on fight day? Like, after you cut the weight and you hit the scale and you rehydrate and all that stuff, like, what do you typically weigh in on fight day itself? On fight day? Um, I'm usually, well, it depends. If I, if I come in on Tuesday, on Tuesday for fight day, the UFC check your weight. If I come in on Tuesday and I'm too, let's say I'm too, uh, I come in, like, 220. On fight day, I'm 220, 221. And I'm and I can move. I mean, like I could if I if I come in Tuesday when I come in Tuesday when I come like if I day for a fight week, if I week, if I come in on fight week at 220 or 221, it's gonna be trouble. It's gonna be really trouble. Cause I'm I'm not I don't have to cut no I'm not the weight just comes off easy. I don't have to worry about it at all. Like I don't struggle with the weight cutter at all. If I the times that I have come in, anytime I come in 221 and under it's pretty much been a bonus type of night for me. So is there a part of you that might maybe cut a little bit just so you can have that feeling of like the rehydration and, and kind of getting into that zone to try to be like well, 221, 222, or are you fine just fight? like 228? Yeah, or are you fine just being oh, like no, 228, no, no. 229? No, so this is, this is 228 right here is really good for me. Okay. It's almost like it, 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 it's essentially fight camp weight for me anyways. So 228, 227 is like fight camp weight because, you know, um, when I actually start doing my water load, my water cutting stuff, that's when my weight just, boom, flushes out very quickly. So like this week, today, I probably should have been waking up right at 220, to be honest, 220. Um, but like, you know, 227, 228 fight night, like it's going to be perfect for me. So how do we get this done Saturday? Yeah, I know you want to be... You're not going to be looking or tear his head off, like you said, but, uh, you know, co-main event spot. How do we set the table for, at least for this fight, Ovens, your fellow heavyweights, Surreal Gone and, and Alexander Volkov? Um, still the show from them. That's all I can say. <laughs> so uh, as long as I can still the show from the, from, from the heavyweights, I'm good. So um, I don't know how to, I don't know how I'm going to get it done, man. I'm, I know one thing though. I'm, I'm going to be light on my feet. I'm going to be feeling good or whatnot. So, 
you know, um, you know, like I said, Tanner is a, is a, is a, is athletic every way he moves pretty good, but you know, myself, I don't think he's going to find, I don't think he's going to, at least in the heavyweight division, I don't think he's going to find guys that actually move around like I have. And if, when I do hit him, he's going to be surprised by my power too. So if this fight goes according to plan, if you go out there and you dominate Tanner Bozer, would you be ready to say, listen, 228's the sweet spot. What am I doing? Like, even in the Rafa fight, you even said, like, you had some success. You waited. You didn't feel as great because you, you were up to, like, 238, 240, whatever. You lose a split decision, but you stung him a couple times. You dropped him in that fight. Like, could that happen? Like, if, if you feel good and you beat him decisively, like, are we even going to talk about going back to 205 or – can we can we float around as long as the matchups are correct? I mean, it just seems we can float around. We can float around as long as the matchups are correct. And I mean, okay. to, and it, it, it even being two twenty eight though, even being in that region of two twenty eight, you get heavyweights that cut to two sixty five, and then next day they're like, like the next day Ben was down at two eighty, and I'm two twenty eight. That's a lot of that's that I'm gonna get tired trying to move him. That's true. So, and I've trained with headweight that up Francis Nganyu before. Oh, hell. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. And I mean, like, literally, like, seeing him in person, I'm like, man, that's a big ass dude. And I played football all my life. I've seen big people. But seeing him in person, I'm like, man, that's a big dude. Then actually got in a train with him too. And like, when he's like, okay kind of like okay little brother come here just boom now like okay i'm i don't I, why did he just make me feel like a little bit well, like literally <laughs> threw me and i'm like okay cool i like i i i know i know I, pretty much i know how to stay in my lane i mean those guys are big for a reason and in the heavyweight like people say they don't move as fast but they do hit hard and me, I'm a numbers person. If you're a heavyweight, if you throw 20 punches and you're a heavyweight in the UFC, at least five of them are going to land. And they don't take nothing but one of them to pitch you out. That's some good math right there. Yep. Especially with Francis. Good Lord. That, yeah. is, that, is, a mount, that is a mountain of a And man. that's just the punches. That's not the kick. Just imagine me trying to block a leg like that. Oh, my God. I've been a proponent. Uh, it, like I, I know people talk about weight classes. I know 165 has been like a, a huge topic over the last couple of years, and Dana hasn't really entertained that. But I've always been a proponent of the cruiserweight class, 225. I feel like 205 to 265 is crazy, and you can mix and match however you want. You could have a guy weighing in at 210 pounds fighting Francis Ngannou, and it just makes no sense. But if you sprinkle in the cruiserweight at 225, like we got a happy medium for guys who cut – a lot to get to 205, but are not big enough to fight the Nganos and the Rothwells of the world if, to have it like make any susceptible sense. Like, are you a proponent of that as well? Like, if the UFC introduced a 225 pound weight class, is that your sweet? Like, would, would that be your home? Uh, yeah, guys like that. It's kind of kind of remind me because you know, in college I was in a position where I was between linebacker and defensive end. I was you know kind of too big for a linebacker but too small for a DN. So they always called us a tweener because you're kind of in between. So considering the fact of my MMA career, when you explain it like that, pretty much that's the role I'm playing right now. It's kind of like a tweener where, you know, I can make 205, but I'm one of the bigger 205 pounders. But at the same time, 
heavyweights, I'm not one of the bigger heavyweights. I'm not one of the bigger bigger heavyweight fighters. So, uh, so yeah, I would definitely entertain that. Especially, shoot, to be honest, two fifteen would be perfect. Actually, I like two fifteen would be perfect. So you're like the JPP of MMA. You're like just right on that sweet spot, man. You get that quick pace. You get the, yeah. Last thing, last thing for me. Did you watch Anderson Silva's return to the boxing ring on Saturday? It was nice to see like to, legit happiness on his face, man. I mean, it. I didn't get to see it. I told myself like. I mean, I gotta, I'm going to have a lot of downtime since I'm going to be in Vegas for the next couple of days, but I'm definitely going to watch it or whatnot. I mean, you got to understand, man, like when, when people don't realize when you've been in the sport for so long, especially combative sports for so long, you've been in the top for so long. And, you know, the last several years of your career have been a lot of up and down or whatnot. And just you try something new and come out on top. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely going to brighten up your day. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. OSP, always enjoy chatting with him. Super interesting fight on Saturday, back up in the heavyweight division against Tanner Bozer. And I agree, he's, he's in a tweener place. Not big enough for heavyweight, but maybe like a little too big for light heavyweight. I don't know. It's it's an interesting spot to be in. But uh, we move ahead. Let us welcome in an individual who will be making her mixed martial arts debut on July 2nd at Titan FC 70. Multiple time jiu-jitsu world champion. Let us say hello to Talita Alencar. All right, let us say hello to the multi-time IBJJF world champion, Talita Alencar, who has put together an incredible resume in the jiu-jitsu world, and now she's about to embark on a, on a new chapter in her combat sports career into the world of mixed martial arts. Her MMA debut will take place July 2nd at Titan FC 70, which will air on UFC Fight Pass, and she will compete in the strawweight division against Stacey Vega. Talita, welcome to the show. Welcome to MMA. How are you? Thank you. I am great. And you? <laughs> I am great. So I guess uh, I guess my first question right off the bat, why now? Why make the move to MMA now? Um, I think if you watched my jiu-jitsu fighters, uh, fights, like match, uh, you could have, uh, see that I have a very aggressive style that transition perfect to MMA. I've been told like like for many years um, after, like, people start to see me more uh, fighting my style, like, oh, I don't do MMA. And I never really felt comfortable to do MMA knowing that I have to do uh, such a big step, you know. And I told myself if one day I decide to do MMA, that will be when I have a great team and. Well, it's perfect because I just I met Charles McCarthy, 
he, he introduced me to his MMA world and it was the perfect fit for me. And I have the best team, the best support. That's why I decided to, to do my pro debut um, after I started to do MMA almost two years ago. Okay, so two years ago you met Charles. What, what, where did you meet Charles? Like, how did did you guys just kind of run into each other, or have you known Charles for for a little while? No, I actually was living in California, just uh, doing the jeeps, traveling, doing seminars, and I was talking to a friend of uh, us in Como, uh, San. And he trained with Charles in the past in ATT when they were all part of ATT. And, and I was telling him how frustrated he was trying to do MMA. And I didn't have the great team behind me. And I was like facing some controversy and like some stuff that happened when people wanted to manage you. And that Saturday, and I was like telling him that's so hard to not have support and I have a team and have to do everything by myself like I did mostly in the end of my career in jiu-jitsu and he's like oh I have just the perfect guy to introduce to you and we booked the the meeting and I met Charles like right away I love Charles and he sounds a very legit person to me and so together uh, like as a team he been just only helping and uh, making me achieve my uh, ultra performance yeah I, I've spoken to folks such as like Gordon Ryan, for example, about making the move to MMA. And he said, you know, essentially when he's ready to do this, it's not the, something you just say, okay, I'm an MMA fighter now. Like, just like kind of you, like he knows you have to take quite a bit of time to, to learn the striking, to use grappling effectively in an oh, MMA yeah. fight. How beneficial has, has these two years been for you sort of honing your craft and preparations for this fight? In the beginning, like I said, I was living in California and I came to Florida to open an academy, Gamblers Jiu Jitsu. And after a year in Florida, it did not work the way I was expecting. I was planning when I came down to uh, West Boca. Um, in the beginning, it was just for fitness purpose, just to see how it worked. And after a year doing this, I, my follow up year was like serious. And um, in the beginning, it was very overrounding, like still a little bit, you know, but right now it, everything's more clear. It doesn't mean that's perfect, you know, but um, everything's getting together. Uh, the, the fact of studying all these styles from boxing to kickboxing, white tie, Working from Taekwondo to Judo and all this good work for me was like so much information. I felt that I was like just a white belt in and MMA. And still, like my friends joke with me, like now you're blue belt one stripe, but but still it's like it's a big change. <laughs> it it was very overrounding. Now makes more sense. Transition watch my style. Everyone gonna be expecting me to 
only jiu-jitsu, wrestle, but I am ready to boxing and kickboxing as well. I I actually been doing great on my kickboxing range, going to the four range safe, kickboxing, medium and close range. I think um, it's over there. I am just getting better every day and every day, you know, a little a day by day thing. And I look forward to being in a cage, you know. It's it's a feeling that it's the same feeling when I step to go do my finals at World World Titles, you know. Yeah, what, I was curious, like, what the feeling is like a little less than two weeks two weeks away from this fight. Like, I'm sure there's feelings of some sort of nerves that come over you before a big jiu-jitsu match or a tournament, but now there's a good chance that you're going to get punched in the face. Uh, I think I lost you. You still there? Yep, yeah, I got her back. Okay. Yeah, so now you, you're probably going to get punched in the face, like, in a combat sports atmosphere. So, like, how would you compare the feeling of getting ready for an MMA fight, the buildup to that, compared to getting ready for a big jiu-jitsu match or a big jiu-jitsu tournament? It's totally different, of course. You know, I have to be worried about many things. Um, um, of course, I'm, I'm going to be, like, I study, like, my opponent and everything to be aware of what is her good... Um, good areas and bad areas and I am not really worried about my opponent. I'm worried more about like make a mistake and and cause like a, like a, a punch but the punch in the face does not scare me anymore because that was pretty much the first stage of like do decide to do MMA. My biggest fear in the beginning like two years ago was get punched in the face and like what is the feeling and for me that I have a really like aggressive style when I get punched I just go even harder you know it, it, MMA does not transition this way you got to be very composed and one thing I've been learned since like um, from my war tires to starting to MMA to be composed to know how to take a punch defensive in many ways so I can strike back and uh, set up my takedowns and go to my grounding pound or wild, uh, wild, wild part, you know. And I've been working on specific training right now. The feeling's crazy, like almost like last, I think 10 to 12 days from my from my first pro debut in tight FC. I don't know how I feel right now. It's a mixed feeling on my stomach. <laughs> yeah, um, trust me. Um, it's just like I have no word to describe. I'm just excited to, you know? Yeah, I think from, from talking to folks, especially in the jiu-jitsu community, a lot of people sort of compare your debut to like when Mackenzie Dern came over into MMA and she's obviously found a lot of success in the MMA world. She's getting close to a title shot in the UFC. Is she someone that you've been paying attention to, kind of seeing how she transitioned from that world into MMA, and have you been following along with the success that she's been having? Oh, Mackenzie Dunn definitely have a, a, a honorable curriculum that my she um, she won many tournaments. Uh, the only thing that I don't have the Mackenzie Dunn had was ADCC because the time frame. Um, 
my folks to MMA and ADCC, of course, because I want to achieve days one, not because it compares to Mackenzie Durham, but definitely Mackenzie Durham been always a phenomenal athlete since I was a lower belt from the transition to MMA. She's been doing great, and even against high-level girls, she did not do bad. She's definitely a big, uh, a big like uh, picture that I look toward. But you know, like um, I am not trying to compare myself to other athletes. I'm always trying to do best, best and better. I am a hybrid strong compared to all of them. You know, because besides I compare myself then to have the same suicides, I also think that I can do even better. Of course, uh, different backgrounds. And Mackenzie, born in the match, you know, I started, I started jiu-jitsu way later, like 12 years old. She started like since she was a kid. I transitioned from triathlon, from other sports, before I actually got into jiu-jitsu, you know, for self-defense purpose. Um, I cannot compare myself to her, but for sure, different backgrounds. Um, and I believe we're both going to keep achieving as long as we're training hard to, you know. So you're going to be fighting Stacey Vega, and she's been in the game for a little while now. She even fought Raquel Pennington, who's in the UFC on the amateur scene way back in the day in 2009. Did you know, do you know much about her? Like, I know you're going to study her a little bit, but you're more focused on yourself. But what are your thoughts on Stacey as your first MMA opponent? Now, the first thing I, I as soon as she accepted the fight, she signed the contract. I studied her. Um, there's a few things. Um, the last fight that I watched from her was six years ago or something. But doesn't really matter for me. Um, I believe she did like the subscription on YouTube, so you cannot watch people, you know. <laughs> And I studied it. <laughs> uh, she did. It doesn't really matter. I just um, need to know what's what I'm gonna do. Focus on my game for sure. Be aware of her her good spots. She's very, very experienced in me in, in, in MMA. Um, I saw that she like uh, play uh, guard and etcetera too. So either one, if she wants strike or boxing or kickboxing, I'm gonna be there, right pressure her. Or if she decides to go to a ground game, my ground grounding pound is excellent. My pressure is excellent on top. Even in the bottom, I'm ready for each situation that could be happening. You talked about what it was like when you got punched in the face for the first time. You just got a little more aggressive. You got all fired up. What is it like for you to actually punch people in the face? Do you enjoy it? Like, I know it's more in a sparring scenario, but like, have you thought about what it's going to feel like to actually throw a, a super hard punch at somebody and, and, and hit them in the face in a fight? Actually, the, um, when you are a fighter, you get paid to hurt people, you know? <laughs> so like, uh, it's not a great feeling look uh, like uh, you're humble or not I'm not humble <laughs> I'm gonna step in the cage and fuck somebody up the, the feeling of like fucking somebody up is amazing you know unfortunately but <laughs> yeah that's gonna be <laughs> so I am really excited to get punched 
to get punch and be able to defend, but also to throw my punch and know they're going to land. It will be an even amazing feeling, so I can finish the fight as, as fast as I can. And, of course, effing somebody up is is at the top of your priority list, if you could, <laughs> right? Of course, of course. <laughs> you crazy? Like, you can watch my jiu-jitsu fights and, and tell me if I don't want to finish a fight. Uh, so I'm curious, like, at this point, what what is your overall goal in the sport of MMA? Like, is it to eventually get to one of these major organizations, to get to the UFC someday, become a world champion? Like, what's the end game for you in this sport, Talita? Yes, no, for sure. I, I like I say, I'm 30. I have an excellent background, and I think I just need um, two years to get excellent, to get a, a good, uh, a good striking base to um, to get actually what I need. But for sure, my main focus is UFC. Based on my background, I don't want to waste time bouncing around, like I said. I am very focused and committed to do what I want and what my team is planning for me. I have like a team like based of seven, eight people that are helping me going from wrestling, judo, taekwondo, karate, base to basic, uh, basic, um, boxing, working with world champion, high-level guys to fix details, you know, and I definitely know that my focus will be three or four fights in my next tank is UFC for sure. There you go. Hopefully uh, Charles Rosa can set the table for you. He fights this Saturday. Of course, he's uh, very close to Charles McCarthy as well. So do we have yeah. an official... Do we have an official prediction for next week? How, how does this all go down at Titan FC 70? You know, I've been, um, I'm part of Charles' camp, and uh, Charles is just an amazing athlete, and you see it that he don't ever give up, you know? He have the, when he was amateur, he had the nickname of Rapidinho, and we know about his last fight was not as successful he won. And we know how hard he won this fight. My prediction is all first fight, TKO or second fight in the ground game, ground pound finish for sure. There you go. Well, this is exciting stuff, Talita. Big fight on July 2nd. The MMA debut is going down in the Titan FC cage. And uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of this camp and in the fight itself. Thank you for the time. And uh, we'll see you in the cage next Friday night. Thank you, too, and um, thank you to give me this attention, and I'm uh, excited to be fighting at Tight FC in July 2nd in Miami. She got me so fired up with the it, I want to F people up thing. Good stuff. Keep an eye on her because, you know, like she said, and I agree with this wholeheartedly, if her grappling style translates over into MMA... And if her striking can get anywhere near her grappling, man, she is going to be a lot of fun to watch in the sport as we get ready to put a bow on this week's show. Thank you again for checking us out. Big thank you to Casey Lydon on the production. Alex and Jose on the graphics like they are each and every week it means a lot. Back again next Tuesday. Until then, have a heck of a week, everybody. We will leave you with my chat with Ricky Glenn. 
All right, we move ahead to one of the big winners from this past Saturday at UFC Vegas 29, a spectacular 37-second knockout of Joaquin Silva. What a return it was for one Ricky Glenn. Congratulations, sir. How are you? Thanks, guys. I'm doing great. Before we get into the performance, and I'm sure you've talked about it before, but uh, I have to ask you because everyone keeps asking me about it, the Ricky name. I was wondering what sort of led to the decision of the more youthful Ricky Glenn name being used in your fights as opposed to the old Rick Glenn, the the gladiator, which is a manly name. Ricky's still manly as it showed in the performance, but why the decision to to change up? Um, well, it is my, 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 my name. So, um, it is kind of a stupid reason why I started going by Rick, um, in the first place, you know, cause my father, he had at the time I was like second grade, he had a girlfriend named Ricky and I was like, no, I'm not going to have a girl's name. I, I'm Rick. And, um, but, but most of my close friends and family call me Ricky anyways. So, or R- Ricky G. Um, so I, I just, I'd rather go by my name. Um, I don't mind. I guess Rick, Ricky G, whatever. Rick. It all works. I mean, whatever you did, it obviously paid dividends because that was some performance, Ricky. It had been almost three years since we had seen you inside the octagon. I mean, how does it all feel a couple days later? Is it, is it kind of surreal because it had been so long? No, I wouldn't say surreal. Real, um, you know, I'm going to have that high feeling um, for for probably the rest of the week. You know, I, I'm just super jacked up still. Um, I'm actually going to... I, uh, I started teaching a, a gi jiu-jitsu program uh, for youth and adults, and I'll be teaching tonight, and then there's a teammate that I'll be helping out. He's fighting this weekend, so I'm actually getting right back to training. Um, not as many sessions a day, but I'll, I'll be getting right back to training, and yeah, just getting right back into it, I guess. It had been a long road back with, you know, different injuries, the pandemic, you had about a COVID yourself, you moved back home, you took uh, some apprenticeship work, if memory serves me correctly, and it obviously translate translated into a damn good result. But what do you think was the most important thing about the time away from a mental perspective and sort of, sort of like the importance of reflection on both life and career? I, I probably gained some more clarity at, at what, uh, what I really wanted with my life and, and where I want to spend my time. And, and now that we have a child, you know, that, that, uh, you know, rings even more, um, you know, where we spend our time and, and what we're doing and, and what we're working towards is, is, is a lot more important now. And obviously being dad, we see the car seat in the back. How much of a, of a boost has that given you in, in so many ways? I know I have an eight year old, so I, I, I know exactly how that feels, but, uh, you know, how, how has that been a boost for you? Not just as a fighter, cause I'm sure the motivation just kind of increases tenfold, but just overall. Yeah. Overall, um, just a lot sharper with my time and, you know, my energy where I'm putting it, I have, you know, I have a little more motivation and, and, uh, you know, something, something to fight for a little more, I guess. How did you enjoy, uh, the, the first father's day, man, outside of probably being on an airplane and traveling back home. But once you got there, how did you enjoy the rest of the day? It was cool. Uh, you know, I went straight home and, and, and cleaned up quick and then met up with some family and, um, got a brother-in-law that's in town. So we visited with him, actually saw him this morning too. And, 
Um, ate some good food, you know, some, some brats and burgers and mac and cheese type stuff. Some, you know, typical American grill out type food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. As good as a 37 second knockout is as a Father's Day gift, it would have been only enhanced by an extra 50 G's. And normally a quick emphatic KO like that is pretty much a guaranteed performance bonus, but not this time around. There are obviously a lot of choices. That was a crazy card. They went with Matt Brown and Sung Woo Choi. Were you a little bummed that you didn't get a bonus? Oh yeah. Like I, I kind of had to check myself too. Like, all right, settle down. Like I'm thankful. I got the victory. That's what I came there for. Get the job done and, and be victorious. But man, like, I guess with my circumstances, you know, out almost three years, I would have thought that would have held a little more weight. And the performance alone, I didn't get, I didn't get hit at all, and it was really quick. Um, so I, I thought, you know, it was almost a for sure, 50 G's. <laughs> so. Do you feel like placement on the card affects that as much as other people do? Like, since this is a, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of a sport, do you feel like if that fight was maybe on the main card that you would have gotten the bonus? You know, I used, I used to think that, but then I have seen quite a few fights where, um, you know, the early on in the card, on the prelims or early prelims. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I can't say. Fair enough played in their decision on, on that. I don't know. So almost three years away to 37 seconds of fighting. I mean, it's wonderful to get a quick finish like that and take little, if any damage, but is there a small part of you that's like, I don't know, unfulfilled because it was so quick. Like, did you have to go for a run or something after the fight to, to burn that leftover adrenaline? Well, after the fight, we got dropped up at the, uh, the Harris casino, uh, right on the strip. And, we walked, walked quite a bit of the strip, went to Planet Hollywood, walked Fremont, walked, I mean, we walked, we walked hours. We, and I, I had to slow down. I think I was pumped up still, you know, the, the guys were like, holy cow, I kept looking back and you coming? What's, what's going on? I was just like, just walking hard. We walked for hours. Um, but my acceleration, it was a little different. I normally... You know, it's been a while since I had a finish. I think I had six or seven decision um, fights uh, prior to this match. And, and so I, when I finished them and, and the ref, uh, Mike Beltran, pushed me off, I was just so pumped up. Like, I usually don't yell or get all uh, dramatic and stuff like that. But it's just like, ah, just the energy just came out, you know. And, and once I once I stopped, like, I just started pouring sweat. I think just from, like, flexing, it's just like, so yeah so i think that just came out too because i i uh i was prepared to go the whole the whole fight and push it and push it in uh and i wanted to set the pace and just just go as hard as i could and luckily i think was in and out unscathed didn't take any damage it was like a like a sigh of relief too just just being out that long and just here you got it 37 seconds you get you get that finish that you've been waiting for for a while and did you just feel like this big sigh of relief oh yeah super big sigh of relief um it's just hard it's hard to describe the feeling of victory alone and then 
and then after you know after all the time the surgery the other injuries i've had you know the time away some other things that leading up to the fight it's just such a relief did you enjoy the empty arena experience because the only thing that outside of the getting the bonus that would have made that better is if you had a bunch of fans screaming and reacting to it i enjoyed it i, I liked it i could hear my my cornerman good um i heard his cornerman although i think they're speaking in portuguese um but it was cool i liked it a little different you told michael bisbing after the win essentially I'll fight again tonight. Give me somebody and I'll, I'll just stand here and wait for you. You're ready to run the gauntlet, Ricky. I mean, obviously that wasn't going to happen, but I assume you already said you're going to get back in the gym later on this week. You're not going to go crazy, but I assume you don't want to wait around long to produce an encore of some kind. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. I, I would, I would like to buy, I would like to fight, um, you know, by fall. Ideally, you know, I, I want to fight at least three times a year. Three, four times a year, I think, would be perfect. And uh, they actually, you know, they um, I haven't I haven't got it yet, but um, I'm supposed to be getting the, the details on uh, my my new contract soon. So four fight deal. They sent me over, or they sent my managers some stuff, and um, had already kind of worked that out. So nice, congratulations. Best Father's Day ever. Was that was that the last fight of your deal, or did they just say, "Man, Ricky, you blew us away. Let's just restructure this thing and give you some more money"? Oh, that was the last one on my fight contract. So, I said in another interview after after the fight, um, I felt like this was it was kind of like an interview again. Um, you know, I I could I mean I was I'm very thankful they gave me the opportunity to to fight. Um, you know, I've been out for so long, I guess, you know, they, they, they knew I had a surgery, so I, I was planning on coming back, but, um, they're going to cut me because sometimes, you know, guys they sit out too long on injuries and, and they get looked over or just, they get passed on and cut. But I, I feel like if I, if I would have lost this fight, I, I probably, they probably wouldn't have resigned me or I would probably had to go to, gone to a different promotion and work my way back in. There you go. So if you were still going to compete, no matter what happened, you just would just wouldn't be in the UFC if you obviously if you if you had lost that fight. So now you get a four fight deal. You're looking to get back quick. Is there anybody you got in mind that would be a fun fight for you? Like no trash shock, just in a friendly dude. I respect you. Let's throw some hands and have some fun kind of way. Yeah, I, I kind of thought about Cowboy, but he's um, you know he's come off so many losses. Um, I'm not really sure if it would, if it would really look that great, um, you know, beating him right now or not. Um, you know, he's a big name, but I don't know. They it's gave not, it to you. I'm sure you'd take it, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's there's not really anyone I've, I'm thinking of. Um, I I would like I would like to fight um, probably. Probably a couple matches, or a couple fights, and then, you know, I'd really like to start getting getting to the top ten. There you go, in this new division of yours. Start getting into the top ten. 
Well, I'm sure coming back home to to see little Jackson after a performance like that was was worth it. And then some man. Good to see you back in there, Ricky. Uh, it had been far too long. And hopefully we see you back in there sooner rather than later. Again, congratulations on the win. Congratulations on the new contract. And uh, thank you for the time and and all the best to you, my man. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> 